Hi friends, welcome back to another episode of Grace is on the Case. I'm your host Grace Lynn Keller and today we're going to be doing something a little bit different than my norm. So instead of taking you through just one case, I'm actually going to be discussing 10. The reason for this? I'm going to be reporting on the cases and fugitives of the FBI's top 10 most wanted list. This will actually be a two-part episode with this first part covering fugitives 10 through six and part two covering fugitives five through one, which will be released next week. So make sure you tune in for that second part. So without further ado, please enjoy part one of this not so typical episode, the FBI's top 10 most wanted list. So if you're anything like me, you grew up watching America's Most Wanted and other crime shows like I lived for Investigation Discovery Channel. <laughs> um, and I actually wasn't technically allowed to watch those shows at the time, but my brother and I, we'd put it on when my parents weren't home. And I was just so interested in the criminals being profiled and wanted to be aware and be able to help if the situation arose. And I just laugh because I think even back then I can see so clearly that I was meant to be a journalist. <laughs> so anyway, this episode is going to count down the 10 fugitives on the FBI's list, the crimes they committed to land on that list, recent possible sightings, where they may be located today, possible aliases, um, if they have any like distinguishing features as well, all of that stuff. The list of the fugitives is public and it can be found on the FBI's website, fbi.gov wanted top 10. I used this as my main source for the episode with supporting information from Wikipedia articles on each fugitive I talk about. Um, and then additionally, I'll be uploading photos of all of the individuals on this list to the show website, gracesonthecasepodcast.com. You can find all the links to my source material at that site as well. So I urge you to go on there, take a look at these um, photos that I'll be uploading, put a face to the name um, and see if you recognize any one of them. So one more important thing before we jump in, if you think you have any information that may be helpful in the investigation of any of these cases or the apprehension of these fugitives, you can submit an anonymous tip at fbi.gov tips. You can also do this by going to that list on the FBI website. And if you click on each fugitive, there is a link at the bottom of their specific page on that site to submit a tip directly for that case. Oftentimes, the best leads come out of information that people find minuscule or maybe don't think is even relevant or important. So I really urge you to contact the Bureau, even if you're not sure of how useful the information you have may be, or even if it's anything at all. You might as well submit a tip. It's better to err on the side of caution, and you might be the one that could break a case open. So now with that out of the way, let's get into the FBI's top 10 most wanted, numbers 10 through 6. So beginning with number 10 on the list, we have Yasser Abdel Saeed. Saeed was actually recently captured, um, but he's still listed in the number 10 spot. So we're gonna cover his case anyway. He was added to the list in 2014 after being connected to the murder of his teenage daughters back in 2008. 
The two girls died on January 1st, 2008 of multiple gunshot wounds in Irving, Texas. Their bodies were discovered in an abandoned taxi cab on the property of the Omni Mandalay Hotel. Saeed was born in Sinai, Egypt, and he immigrated to the United States on a student visa in 1983, and then he began driving taxi cabs for a living. He married Patricia Owens in 1987 when he was 30 years old and she was just 15, which don't feel great about that. So anyway, his two daughters, Amina and Sarah, were born in 1989 and 1990, respectively. The couple also had a son together named Islam, who was born in 1988, and Saeed had a daughter from a previous relationship that was born in 1987. Saeed gained permanent residency, and then he gained citizenship by 1997. It was reported that Saeed was very controlling and abusive toward his family. Amina and Sarah told family and friends about their father's abuse, and they were said to often have shown up to school with bruises and other physical injuries. Owens also reported abuse during her marriage to Saeed. Amina at one point also said in an email that Saeed intended to kill her prior to when the murders were committed. Amina also had fears that her father would kill her then boyfriend, Joseph Moreno, who he didn't know they were dating at the time, and she was secretly actually planning on running away with Moreno and getting married to him in Las Vegas. And now Saeed didn't know about any of this, um, but he did find out, and it was reported that when he did find out, he beat Amina because she refused to give him Moreno's name. In December 2007, Owens, Sarah, and Amina ran away from their home to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where Amina's boyfriend had relatives. On December 31st of that year, Owens and the girls returned to Saeed after multiple phone calls and contact from Saeed and Saeed's relatives, begging them to come home. On January 1st, 2008, Saeed loaded Amina and Sarah into his cab and told them he was taking them out to dinner and they were under the impression that he had forgiven him and everything was fine. He then drove them to the Omni Mandalay Hotel and shot both of them. Amina died instantly while Sarah was actually able to dial 911 and explain to the operator that her father had shot her before she too died. Saeed disappeared after the murders, and while many assumed that he had fled to Egypt, there has never been any evidence that he left the country at all. There was alleged sightings of him driving a cab in New York and Newark, New Jersey, which prompted FBI agents to issue a statement that he may be in those areas. In 2014, he was added to the top 10 list. Saeed spent a total of 12 years on the run before being apprehended on August 26, 2020 in Texas. He faces two counts of capital murder, making him eligible for the death penalty. Saeed's son, Islam, was also arrested and charged with harboring a fugitive, conspiring to harbor a fugitive, and one count of conspiracy to obstruct justice, to which he pled guilty. On April 27, 2021, so not too long ago, he was sentenced to 10 years in federal prison. Saeed has yet to stand trial. Coming in at number nine on our list is Arnaldo Jimenez. Unlike Saeed, Jimenez is still at large, and so are the rest of these fugitives. Jimenez is wanted for first-degree murder. 
It is alleged that he killed his wife, Estrella Carrera, on May 12, 2012, just one day after their wedding. The couple was married at City Hall in Chicago on May 11, 2012. After the wedding, they celebrated with family and friends over dinner and then headed to a nightclub. It was reported that they left that club around 4 a.m. Authorities believe that Jimenez and Carrera got into a heated argument in his car, which escalated to the murder. He allegedly stabbed his wife in the backseat of his Maserati, then dragged her body from the vehicle into her apartment in Burbank, Illinois. Her body was found in her bathtub and she was still wearing the same dress she had worn for the wedding. He was charged with first degree murder and a state warrant was issued for his arrest on May 15, 2012. That warrant was then followed by a federal warrant after it was discovered that Jimenez had fled to avoid arrest. Once investigators began tracking Jimenez, they found that his cell phone pinged on May 12th in Chicago, then in Southern Illinois, then Memphis, Tennessee, and then Arkansas, all on the same day, which prompted authorities to treat him as a fugitive. On May 13th, he made calls from Houston, Texas, and then Hidalgo, Mexico. Authorities believe that Jimenez is still hiding out in Mexico. They think he originally fled to Durango, Mexico, specifically in the area of Santiago, Papascario. Another location he may frequent is Reynosa, Tamaulipas, Mexico. Prior to the crime, he resided in Chicago, Illinois, and he does still have ties there. He also has two known aliases, Arnaldo Jimenez and Arnaldo Rochelle Jimenez. After being on the run for seven years, Jimenez was added to the FBI Most Wanted list on May 8, 2019, where he will remain until apprehension. The FBI warned that Jimenez should be considered armed and dangerous and not to confront or approach him if you believe to be in contact. Instead, call police or submit a tip. Moving along to number eight, we have Alejandro Rosales Castillo, who is wanted for a connection with the murder of Truk Khan Sandy Lai Lee, a female coworker at Shomer's restaurant in Charlotte, North Carolina in August of 2016. It's been reported that 17-year-old Castillo and 23-year-old Lay briefly dated, and then at some point Lay had lent money to Castillo, which was never paid back. After their split, Castillo was said to have started dating another coworker, Amia Feister. On August 9th, 2016, Castillo texted Lee and told her that he wanted to repay the money that he owed her. Lee agreed to meet him at a Quickstar gas station in Charlotte to collect the money. Castillo's current girlfriend, Faster, was the one who picked up Castillo and drove him to the meeting in her red Dodge Caliber. Lee was last seen alive leaving for this meeting with Castillo at the Quickstar. Authorities believe that upon both parties' arrival to the gas station, Castillo forced Lay to withdraw all the money from her bank account, possibly using a gun to threaten her. According to Lay's relatives, the sum was $1,000, and after the withdrawal, there was no money left in her account. It is then believed that after receiving the money, Castillo drove Lay into a wooded area where he shot her once in the head, dumping her body in a ravine. Costilla and Feister then fled in Lay's Toyota Corolla. The couple fled to Phoenix, Arizona, where they abandoned Lay's car at a bus station. The car was found on August 15th. They then made their way to Nogales, Arizona, where they crossed the border into Mexico. 
This was actually caught on security footage at the customs station in Nogales, and if you want to see it, you can view it on the FBI's website. Lay was reported missing on August 10th, the day after she was murdered. Castillo was reported missing on August 11th, and Feister was reported missing on August 12th. Feister's car was found abandoned in Charlotte on August 13th, and Castillo and Feister reportedly made phone calls to their families on the same day, saying that they were safe, but they weren't sure where they were. Because of the verbiage used in these phone calls, the families actually thought that the couple had been abducted and forced to make the calls. On August 17th, Lay's body was discovered, and authorities believed that the motive was simple robbery. Fast forward a few months, and on November 2nd, 2016, Costillo was charged with first-degree murder, and then later with unlawful flight to avoid prosecution when it was proven that he had fled across the border with that security tape. On October 20th, 2016, Feister turned herself in to authorities in Agus Calientes, Mexico, where she got in touch with her mother and arranged to be apprehended at a U.S. airport upon her return to the States. On October 22nd, Feister was officially extradited and arrested near Houston, Texas. She was charged with accessory after the fact of felony murder and larceny of a motor vehicle. Feister cooperated with authorities and told them that she and Castillo had been hiding out with Castillo's cousins who lived in Agos Calientes for two months. She said at some point within that time, Castillo had disappeared again and she did not have knowledge of where he was. Feister is still awaiting trial. After a little over a year on the run, Castillo was placed on the most wanted list in October of 2017. It is believed that he is still in Mexico, possibly in the cities of San Francisco de los Romo or Pabellón de Ortega in the state of Agos Calientes. I probably butchered the pronunciation of those cities, so my apologies. He may also be hiding in the states of Guanajuato or Veracruz. It should be noted that he also has familial ties to Phoenix and Charlotte. Castillo also has a number of known aliases, including Alexandro Castillo, Alex Castillo, Alejandro Rosales, Alejandro Castillo, and Alejandro Rosales Castillo. Authorities warn that not only should Castillo be considered armed and dangerous, but he is also a huge flight risk with violent tendencies. Number seven on our list is Robert William Fisher, who is wanted for three counts of first-degree murder and arson of an occupied structure. Authorities believe that he killed his wife and two young children before blowing up their family residence in Scottsdale, Arizona on April 10, 2001. This is by far the wildest story of this episode, so definitely pay attention for this. Fisher was born in Brooklyn, New York, and then moved with his family to Tucson, Arizona, where he attended high school with his two sisters. His parents got divorced when Fisher was 15, and according to family and friends, the separation was extremely turbulent and left long-lasting effects on Fisher, to which he had previously discussed with coworkers in his adult life. As an adult, Fisher enlisted in the Navy, where he attempted and failed to become a Navy SEAL. After his time in the military ended, he began working as a surgical catheter technician, a respiratory therapist, and firefighter. He was also an avid outdoorsman, hunter, and fisherman. Fisher married Mary Cooper in 1987 and was described as being a control freak and very distant and cruel towards his family. 
there's a lot of bad stories reported by family and friends surrounding Mary and the children's life with Fisher, including that at one point he actually turned a garden hose on Mary after he perceived her to have spoken out of turn. And another point with the kids, he tried to teach them how to swim by throwing them off a boat. The couple frequently fought about sex and money, and Mary eventually took a job that she told friends was a security fund. Fisher's friends reported that as the date of the murders and arson approached, he began exhibiting disturbing behavior on hunting trips and outdoor excursions. In one case, after killing an elk, he smeared blood on his face, and another time he snuck up behind a family that was picnicking and emptied his gun into the air. It was also reported that in the months leading up to the crimes, Fisher began retreating from activities that he was once active in, such as their church community and men's ministry. Fisher and Cooper began marital counseling at their church in 1998, and in late 2000, Fisher had this one-night affair with a prostitute that left him ill with a urinary tract infection for several days. Fisher told coworkers about this rendezvous, and he worried out loud that Mary would connect the dots and figure out that his infection came from a prostitute. In the weeks before the murders, Fisher told a hunting companion that he was renewing his commitment to his faith and his marriage because, quote, he could not live without his family, unquote. This was taken as a hint that he would consider suicide over divorce by this friend. At the same time, Mary told several friends that she was going to divorce him. At 10.30 p.m. on April 9th, 2001, a neighbor reported hearing a loud argument inside the Fisher home. Now, this was actually quite commonplace. After the murders, neighbors told police that they heard the couple screaming and fighting like all the time, but this argument was approximately 10 hours before the house was actually blown up. Despite the argument being heard at 10.30, police actually theorized that the family was killed between 9.30 and 10.15 p.m. So that's a little bit of a gray area. Maybe the witness had their times wrong or maybe the police had things wrong. Obviously, when the bodies were discovered, they were in pretty bad shape. So there's room for error there. Where there isn't a gray area, though, is what time the house blew up. At exactly 8.42 a.m. on April 10th, the Fisher house exploded, rattling the frames of homes up to a half mile away and completely decimating the front brick wall of the home. Luckily, firefighters were able to keep the 20-foot high blaze from destroying any other homes nearby. Inside the wreckage, Mary's body was found with a gunshot to the back of the head, while children Brittany and Bobby were discovered with their throats slashed from ear to ear. The explosion occurred after a gas line from the furnace in the back of the house had been pulled and spewed gas for hours. It is alleged that after killing his family, Fisher lit a candle inside the home before pulling the gas line, knowing the flame would eventually ignite the gas once enough had accumulated. Police believe that this was done as a forensic countermeasure to conceal his crimes, as well as give him a head start that he would need to evade capture. Authorities think that the motive behind the crimes was rage over the fact that Mary was planning to divorce him and that he didn't want his children to go through the same trauma he did when his parents split. Fisher disappeared at the time of the murders, being seen on ATM camera the night the murders took place at 10.43 p.m. Mary's car can be seen in the background of this footage. 
Fisher was quickly named a person of interest in the case and remains the only person of interest to date. The last physical evidence of Fisher's whereabouts surfaced on April 20th, when Mary's car and the family dog was discovered in Tonto National Forest near Payson, Arizona. A family friend had reported that her husband and Fisher had actually gone camping in that area where the car was found, and in retrospect, he believed that Fisher had been scouting the area and was very familiar with it. Other tips came in after the car was discovered, including one couple seeing someone resembling Fisher walking along a road in a nearby Native American reservation. On July 19th, a state arrest warrant was issued in Phoenix, charging Fisher with three counts of first degree murder and one count of arson. He was then declared a fugitive and a federal arrest warrant was issued. After a little over a year on the run, Fisher was added to the FBI's most wanted list on June 29th, 2002. He also appeared on the shows America's Most Wanted and On the Hunt with John Walsh. The FBI has investigated hundreds of tips to date, but so far all have turned out to be false or inconclusive. Because of his love of fishing in the outdoors, many believe that Fisher is still hiding out in the woods somewhere. There's a lot of caves around the area where the car was found, so some people believe that he's hiding in the caves or possibly died of lack of oxygen since the further you go into a cave, the less oxygen you can get. Others believe that he has committed suicide due to the extremely low amount of money that he had with him and the fact that there has never been a corroborated sighting of him after the murders. Still, others believe that he assumed a new identity and altered his appearance enough to begin a new life and evade arrest. There's really no great way to guess where Fisher is currently, if still alive, except for the fact that he was last seen in Arizona and has ties to New Mexico and Florida as well. Fisher is extremely physically fit and has quite a few identifying features. First, he has surgical scars on his lower back and is said to sometimes walk in an exaggerated erect posture to relieve this back pain. He also has a visible gold crown on his upper left bicuspid tooth. He's known to chew tobacco heavily and is reported to prefer the brand Copenhagen. The FBI warns that Fisher should be considered armed and extremely dangerous and is believed to have several weapons in his possession, including a high-powered rifle. If you believe you have contact with Fisher or see him, do not engage, call police immediately, or submit a tip on the FBI's website. Rounding off part one of this episode is fugitive number six, Badrash Kumar Shatanbai Patel. Patel is wanted for a laundry list of charges, including first-degree murder, second-degree murder, first-degree assault, second-degree assault, dangerous weapon with intent to injure. Patel was born in 1990 in Virgam, Gujarat, India. He married Palak Patel in 2015, and the couple traveled to the U.S. together to visit relatives in the same year. On the evening of April 12, 2015, the couple were both working at Dunkin' Donuts in Hanover, Maryland, owned by one of the relatives Patel was visiting. Surveillance video from the store shows the couple in the back kitchen at 9.30 p.m. before they both disappeared from view behind some racks. Moments later, Patel emerged alone, turned off an oven, and left the store. After Patel left, customers arriving at the store grew concerned after no one came out to serve them. One of the customers flagged down a police officer nearby. After checking out the scene, the officer discovered Palak's body at the back of the store, and upon reviewing security footage, authorities identified Patel as the killer, 
but because the body was not identified for over an hour after Patel fled the store, he had vanished by this point. Authorities believe that Palak and Patel got into an argument behind that rack at the store that evening about Palak wanting to return to India while Patel wanted to stay in the US. Information obtained from Palak's family revealed that Palak had called her family moments before the murder to tell them about this argument. Police concluded that Patel overheard this phone conversation and murdered Palak for that reason. It was reported that after the crime, Patel returned to his nearby apartment on foot. After retrieving some personal items, he then got into a cab and traveled to a hotel near the airport in Newark, New Jersey. The taxi driver later reported that Patel was very calm during the drive. He checked into the hotel in Newark and was seen on surveillance footage at the counter paying in cash for a room where he then checked out the following morning. The last known sighting of Patel was at Newark Penn Station in New Jersey around 10 a.m. on April 13, 2015, the morning after the murder. He has not been seen since. There's very little information on where Patel could be now, but one possibility is that he could have fled the country back to India. Another possibility is that he's hiding out with relatives in the US. Patel was here on a visa originally, but it had expired by the time the murder took place. So because of this, he wouldn't have been able to legally leave the country, which makes the theory that he fled to India a bit more unrealistic. But since there have been no confirmed sightings of him since the day after the murder, police really can't pinpoint any other possible locations besides that final sighting in the Newark, New Jersey area. And since he was seen at Penn Station, maybe he got on a train and took off to somewhere else. Nobody really knows. He is considered armed and dangerous though. Um, so if you have contact with him, please do not confront, call the police, put in a tip, you know the drill. So that is all for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Just another quick reminder that if you have any information that helps with the apprehension of these fugitives or the investigation of their cases, you can submit an anonymous tip at fbi.gov tips. And if you go on our website or the FBI's website and you think you recognize or have contact with any of the men discussed today, please do not confront them. They are all considered to be armed and dangerous, some of them with violent tendencies and even more so. So instead, call law enforcement. And remember, I will be back next week with the second half of this list, Fugitives 5 through 1. Thanks for listening.